How do you typically respond when circumstances are going really bad in your life? Like, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Uh, bad can be relative, right? I mean, we can have bad days, you know, because, you know, we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Or we can have bad days because we're grieving an incredible loss. And so I want to just start with that question. How do you, how do you typically respond when you're navigating a bad day, a bad week, month or year. We have a class that we do around here when people are joining the church and then after the service, in fact, we have a, a couple that will be joining in formal membership with our church family and it's always exciting just to see as God brings folks. And one of the things that we do is we have a class that we will sometimes do is we're bringing in a group of new folks into formal membership. And this was many, many years ago. In fact, for those of you who've been around for a while, this was at the chapel property on Clinton Boulevard. And I, I would teach this little class as new members were coming in. And we would discuss all different types of things. And we'd talk about, you know, how our culture works. And we'd talk about different values within our church family. And, and somehow in that, as we would talk about unity within the church, I, I would have this little thing that I would sometimes say in that class. And I would say something along the lines of, you know what? We, we're not going to be the type of church that just kind of gets all you know, bent out of shape because somebody cuts us off in the parking lot or, you know, maybe somebody doesn't smile at us in the lobby or maybe somebody even, maybe somebody backs up into your car and scratches your fender. We're just going to, we're going to be a church that just shows grace, that just shows mercy. We're just going to love people in light of all those little things. And, and so that particular uh, service a particular class, we had some new members. I think there was 20, 25 folks in, this, in that little class that day. And uh, Pastor Nick was part of that class. It was his, like, first week. And he was, you know, coming on board as a member. And eventually he would become one of our pastors. And we finished the class. And I was kind of chit-chatting with different visitors and, and new folks within the church. And, and all of a sudden, kind of in the middle, there was a little bit of commotion. And uh, Pastor Nick comes in, and his face is wide. He goes, remember, he's brand new to the church. We're just getting to know each other. And uh, with everybody around who had just heard the class, he, he looks at me and says, Pastor, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. But as I was leaving the parking lot, I didn't see your vehicle. I backed right into it, put a dent in your vehicle. And in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, I just thought on this. I can't. i got to make sure that I, oh, pr praise the Lord. You know, amen. That's a word. God's good. It's filing your trial, right? <laughs> You know, sometimes bad days are like really bad and sometimes they're just inconvenient. But how do you respond when circumstances are going bad in your life? Here's our theme for this morning. And if you want to take a moment, if you like to take notes, feel free to do that. But our theme for this morning is simply this, that, that undeserved suffering can lead to unprecedented blessing. We're going to see this in the first verse of our passage in just a moment, that undeserved suffering can lead to unprecedented blessing. So how do you respond to suffering, to hurt, and to pain? 
Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 3. That's our text for this morning, 1 Peter chapter number 3. Uh, we are currently in a series marching verse by verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, this series we've called Thriving in Exile, and it's really how do we as believers navigate the suffering that exists in our broken world? How do we as believers, do we walk through this life in a way that would honor and glorify God in everything we do, say, and think? If you are visiting with us today, we're really, really glad that you're here. I want you to just take a moment right there in front of your chair. There's a little QR code, and you can take out your phone, use your smartphone. If you hold it right up, you know, the camera right up to that, it'll pop up with our service program. There's also a connection card that you can fill out here during the service. We'd love to have a little record of your attendance with us, so I hope you'll do that. If you're not that, you're like, I don't know how to do that, you can use your phone and go to fresnochurch.com slash I was supposed to remember the word. Info, that's the word. Or you can go to fresnochurch.info. And uh, if you do that, that'll get you to the exact same place, give you a lot of information about the church. It also has the service program for today. So if you want to follow along through the notes, uh, that's another way in which you can do that. Uh, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text this morning. We've already marched through 1 Peter chapter 1, we've marched through 1 Peter chapter number 2, we've started chapter number 3, and now we're going to continue and finish up 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 14. Remember our theme, undeserved suffering can lead to unprecedented blessing. Here's what the, what the scriptures say. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 13 says, but then will harm, who then will harm you if you are devoted to that which is good. Now think about that for a moment. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? It's a rhetorical question. You'd think the obvious answer would be, nobody's gonna harm you for doing good, however, but. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, that is to say, if there is suffering in your life, even though at this moment in time you feel like, man, I, I don't know that I'm doing anything wrong, I don't know that I deserve this, here's what the scriptures say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. If you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Undeserved suffering can lead to unprecedented unprecedented blessing. That's what we see in verse 14. It goes on to say, do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness. Do it with reverence. Keeping a clear conscience. How do we navigate this stuff when when undeserved suffering, we, do, we, we navigate it with gentleness, with respect, with a clear conscience, so that when you're accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame, for it, is, for it is better to suffer for doing good. It's better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, then for doing good. Evil. I want to speak on this subject this morning of thriving through undeserved suffering. Thriving through undeserved suffering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,
in a room this size with the amount of people that you've gathered together this morning. I can only imagine that there are hurts that people are experiencing. I can only imagine that there are trials that people are navigating. Lord, and sometimes these things can be difficult and they can be confusing. So Lord, I pray that you would allow your word to minister grace to our hearts. I pray that through your word and through gathering with your people that our hearts would just be filled, Lord, with the life that is available in the person of Jesus. I pray that you would teach us how to suffer well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. This morning, we're going to look at two truths from this passage, all right? Two of them. I'll give them to you in a moment. If you downloaded the notes, you got a head start and you already know what they are. But this morning, we're going to look at two truths from this passage that teach us how to suffer well in the face of suffering. And so since this is Bible study, let's just open our Bibles and dive right into it, all right? First Peter chapter number three, we already read the verse a moment ago in verse 13, but this is where we're gonna see our, our first thought this morning. It, it says here, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Notice this, do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord is holy. This is what I want you to zone in on. Ready at any time, ready, prepared ready at any time to, to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. And, and so we see here that the, uh, the Apostle Peter is trying to help these scattered believers understand that their persecution and the difficulties that they're going through and the hard times that they're experiencing, he, he's trying to help them understand how they can navigate it in a way that allows them to thrive in the midst of it. I think it's interesting here in this passage that it says, be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. And it doesn't necessarily say, you know, give a verbal response. I think that's part of what this means. But the context of these verses are not just speaking about giving a defense with our words. It's not just saying giving a defense with our conversation. It's not saying give a defense with what we articulate. It's saying in the context here that the way you live your life, the way you navigate your suffering can also act as a defense of your faith. Be ready. Which brings us to our first thought today. And if you want to jot this down, I hope you will. Number one, faithfully enduring suffering is one of the greatest proofs to the legitimacy of our faith. Let that sink in for a moment. Faithfully enduring suffering is one of the greatest proofs to the legitimacy of our faith. How do we know if our faith is real? How is it that we give an answer to those who have questions when people are looking at our lives, scratching their head, wondering if this whole God thing is even real, if this whole Bible thing is even true? How do we show them the reality of these facts? Yes, we can use our words, and yes, we can articulate with our tongues, but Peter is reminding us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's also demonstrating it with our lives in one of the greatest ways. One of the greatest ways we show the legitimacy of our faith is by faithfully enduring suffering. So I ask you again, how do you typically, 
how do you typically respond to suffering? You see, when, I think they have this on the screens, but when we experience God's grace in the midst of problems and are able to suffer well, this is hard to do. In, in fact, I would dare say it's impossible to do in and of our own strength. When we experience God's grace in the midst of problems and are able to suffer well, it reveals to those around us that what we have is real. It's easy to demonstrate our faith when everything's, you know, peaches and cream, when it's a walk in the park, when everything's going well. But one of the ways we demonstrate the authenticity of our faith, that what we have inside is real and genuine, and one of the ways we give an answer to those that don't have the hope is how we navigate our suffering. I don't know about you, but I, I've always wanted to be a person that when unbelievers look at my life, they, they think to themselves that, man, they would think something along these lines. I don't believe in God, but I can't, I can't explain how he navigates life. I want unbelievers to be able to be like, man, I don't believe in that God he believes in, and I don't know if I believe in all the faith things he believes in, but to be honest, I also can't explain how he's navigating what he's navigating apart from God. You see, faithfully enduring suffering is one of the greatest proofs to the legitimacy of our faith. Uh, let's keep reading. I want you to notice verse number 18 now. Verse number 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is verse 18. You see, in this passage, Peter is saying suffering's coming. If you live in this world, if you live among broken people, if you have or are still struggling with the flesh, there is going to be suffering, there's going to be hurts, there's going to be pains. And then he says, hey, I want to show you somebody else who experienced undeserved suffering. His name was Jesus. In fact, the Bible says he suffered for sins, not his sins, but for my sins, for our sins. The righteous, Jesus, perfect, holy, substituted himself for my unrighteousness, for my brokenness, for my sin, for my inadequacy, for my failures. He took his righteousness and he exchanged it for my unrighteousness. He took my sin upon himself. Luke chapter number 5 verse 44 says this along these lines. It says, Jesus said, I, I say unto you, Love your enemies. Love them. Don't take revenge on them. Don't respond with hate or malice. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them despitefully use you and persecute you. What I think is interesting about this particular verse, it's as if Jesus is addressing all the domains of the human spirit and soul. Love, oh, that emotionally you would respond right to your enemies. Bless them, that's verbally, that curse you. Do good, that's physically, 
to those that hate you, pray. That's spiritual for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Those that are making life more difficult. And this is how Jesus says, I want to respond. Which brings us to our next thought today, and that is this. How we respond to suffering from others Because Jesus modeled this, we see in verse 18. How we respond to suffering from others says a lot about our own heart condition. See, it's easy to do, right? It's easy to respond to people well. It's easy to treat people good when they're treating you the way you want to be treated. When they're responding to you the way you want to be responded to. When they're acting the way you want them to act. But how we respond to suffering from others says a lot about our own heart condition. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. I'm going to throw this on the screens. If God loves everyone, how many of you agree for God to love John 3, 16, right? Amen? If God loves everyone and God's spirit is in us, think about this, follow the logic. If God loves everyone and God's spirit is in us, then when I struggle to allow God's love to flow through me toward difficult people, it says as much about my own heart condition as it does about their behavior. Because in these moments where we're experiencing undeserved suffering, we want to point the finger and we want to say, it's them, it's those people, it's these people. And God's saying, wait a second, when you're struggling, when the Spirit of Christ wants to pour grace through you and love through you and mercy through you, and you're struggling and you're bristling with that, that may say as much about you. It may say as much about me as it does whatever that other person is doing. Some of you have had, maybe, maybe there's a couple in here, and you've had to have like, you know, bypass surgery because the blood wasn't flowing properly. There was a blockage. There might be others in here who are experiencing a spiritual blockage. And you need a spiritual bypass surgery because God's love and his forgiveness and his grace is desiring to flow in and through you there's a blockage you're struggling to love your enemies you're struggling to pray for them and do good to them even though God's spirit wants to do that in and through you let me say this focus on this for a moment while suffering is inevitable this is this is a fact if you were born into this world it's broken flawed people you struggle with the flesh there is going to be suffering you can't avoid it Jesus even said man if you're in this world you will experience persecution suffering is inevitable but I want to remind you of this by God's grace misery is optional I struggle with that I struggle with it I don't know if you do I know suffering is a given, but sometimes I like to wallow in my misery. So we see, first of all, in the first portion of this passage, faithfully enduring suffering is one of the greatest proofs to the legitimacy of our faith. Second, we see faithfully enduring suffering 
from others says a lot about our own heart condition. That's what Jesus did. He was willing to lay his life down for others. So let me give you four practical thoughts as we wrap this thing up. Real practical cookies on the bottom shelf to help us kind of navigate here this reality. Practical thoughts that will help us to suffer well. Number one, I want you to think about this. Number one, God often gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. The scriptures tell us that God will not try you above that which you are able. If you are going through it right now, it's because the God of the universe and the creator of all that there is believes that his grace is sufficient for you for that trial, for that moment, for that season. It often gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. Number two, gratitude is one of the greatest antidotes to misery. Suffering, it's inevitable. But how do we combat misery? The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. It it doesn't say for everything, all right? I, I don't have to give thanks for every trial I go to. But I can give thanks in every trial I'm going through. Gratitude is one of the greatest antidotes to misery. Uh, Sociologists tell us that the brain, the way the brain functions and the way God created the brain, it's impossible, according to people who study the brain, to feel deep gratitude and utter misery at the exact same moment. Can't do it. And so at the moment we allow God's grace to overwhelm us with his goodness and his thanks and his praise, in that moment we're free from some of the misery that goes along with it. Number, number three, practical thoughts that will help us to suffer well. Number three, the biggest problem you're facing is not your biggest problem. Let me stop there and I'll finish it. I, I, like I'm thinking, okay, this is my biggest problem in my life right now and you might have something in your life and you're like, this is my biggest problem. I'm going to say this. The biggest problem you're facing is not your problem. It is the way you are perceiving your problem. This is why we're told in Romans to let Christ renew our mind. So we can view it differently, see it differently, see it from heaven's perspective. Because my biggest problem that I'm facing is not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is the way I'm perceiving my problem. Number four, oftentimes it takes an overwhelming breakdown to have an overcoming breakthrough. I hate that this is true. I'm like, dear God, is there not another way to experience your grace? Is there not another way to grow? Is there not another way to mature? And oftentimes, it takes an overwhelming breakdown. Like you feel like you're drowning in the waves of pain and problems. And you're just trying to keep your head above water. And you're like, God, I'm dying here. You feel like you're in a hole you're never going to get out of. 
You're back so far in the cave, you can't see the light. You're so deep in the valley, you never know if you're going to get to the mountaintop again. And maybe it's financially, and maybe it's with your health, or maybe with your marriage, or maybe with your kids or your parents. And you're just experiencing this overwhelming breakdown. And you're like, God, I don't know that I can take anymore. And I want to remind you that oftentimes it, it takes those overwhelming breakdowns to experience the overcoming breakthroughs. Last week we celebrated what? The resurrection of Jesus, right? Man, that's awesome. Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered death. And now we have the power to overcome by his strength and his power. And we love Easter. Sometimes we forget that before you get to resurrection, you have to have crucifixion. Before you get to Sunday celebration, you have to experience Friday's turmoil and agony. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no new life without that old death. And it's so painful when that dies. We all want Easter. We all want resurrection power. We all want new life. We all want breakthroughs. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. We want the breakthrough, but we don't want to struggle through the breakdowns. In God's economy, you don't get one without the other. I wish it wasn't true. I wish. I wish there was another way that God in his sovereignty would allow me the strength and grace to grow. But I have found in my life, it is the most agonizing seasons that I've been through that has produced the most glorious growth. And so while I hate the suffering, and the hurts, and the pains, By God's grace, we surrender to it and we say, God, not my will. But your will be done. It's often darkest right before the dawn. I was up at about 3 a.m. this morning. I got up. It's church day. I have this place I'll drive out to still dark and I'll sit there just looking out at the horizon spending time in prayer and meditation singing saturating my heart in the promises of God and when I get there it's dark like it's really dark and sometimes in those moments my heart is hurting it's heavy Like a promise over those moments and hours, probably this morning, three hours with the Lord. During that season, as I'm praying, seeking God's face, what was dark turns to light. The, star, the sun starts peeking up over the horizon. And then there's that moment where the sun crests. And what was once dark is now light. 
and what was once hard to understand and hard to see, it couldn't all of a sudden make sense. Why? Because it's often darkest before the dawn. I don't know what you're going through, but here's what I know about humanity. You've hurt. You've experienced suffering and pain and agony. I know you have. But it's often darkness right before God's glorious new dawn. Some of you know the story of Nick Wojcik. He was a man who was born without arms and legs and and yet it's amazing how he has responded to the season, responded to these circumstances. So I'm going to ask the guys, why don't we take a moment, and I want you to see just a little bit of his story. We're all looking for something. We're all looking for hope. Hope you can't just have, just because you were born with hope. No, we're born with pain. We're born and live through difficulties. And in our life, my parents always taught me that even though we don't know why I was born this way, that we have a choice. Either to be angry for what we don't have or be thankful for what we do have. The power of that choice was the first thing that I had to overcome and decide for myself especially in the early years of school. A lot of kids would come up to me and tease me. So wherever I go, I talk about the value of life. I talk about anti-bullying messages for the school systems in different nations. The greatest thing is love. When we feel like we don't have enough love and we don't have enough hope, we start losing strength to live. For me in my life as a child, I had a big wall. I was surrounded by four walls and a low ceiling of opportunity. I was set free in so many different ways and especially surviving from day to day with my parents who loved me, who encouraged me, who told me that I was beautiful the way that I was and not to worry about what other people said about me. Today, I still have no arms and legs, but everything's changed. For me, I was looking for hope and happiness. I couldn't see it for many years. Truth encourages me to become all that I can be. But then we have lies every day coming in our mind, people who discourage us. You know the people that you have in your life who, no matter how good of a day you're having, they'll bring you down. Or no matter how bad of a day you're having, they'll bring you even lower. You know what I'm talking about? Words are powerful. When you hear those words, and then your mind starts growing with these lies. Nick, you're not good enough. Nick, just give up. Nick, you're never going to get a job. You won't get married. You can't even hold your wife's hand. What kind of a father are you going to be if you can't even pick up your kids when they're crying? At age eight, I thought that I should commit suicide. Why? I didn't have hope. I thought I didn't have hope. Today, you can see that I had hope. At age 10, I tried to drown myself in six inches or 15 centimeters of water in my home. 
told my dad I just wanted to relax. But really, I wanted to end my life. I had enough. The first two times I rolled over, I was trying to work out how much air I holding my lungs before I let it out. The third time, in my mind, knowing that I wanted to get out of here because of the bullying in my life, because I was going to be a burden to my parents and I had nothing to look forward to. I realized at that moment that if I actually went through with committing suicide, I would leave a greater burden for my parents than they already had. So when I saw in my mind my mom and my dad and my brother crying at my grave, if I went through with it, that one thought saved me. If my parents never told me that I was beautiful the way they were, if my parents never told me that I was special and that I was loved, I wouldn't be here today. So I encourage every single parent who tries their best to encourage their teenagers. Every single human being has value and my value is not determined on how I look or what job I have or where I'm from, where I was born, how much money, all that stuff is nothing. With all the money in the world, I'll never be happy. Why? Because money is something that cannot heal the soul. So many kids, they come up to me, it's amazing. They put their hands behind their back and hug me with their neck. And I've realized in life, even the worst parts of my life can be turned into good and even more special. And I know that every day my choices will affect this life, other people's life, and my eternal life. You gotta come to the truth of knowing who you are and why you're here. William Barclay, he said, the greatest two days in anyone's life, the day you were born and the day you knew why. I am here for a reason. Sure, I didn't get a miracle, yeah? I believe in a God who can do miracles, and I have a pair of shoes in my closet. Why? I've seen blind people seeing and deaf people hearing, but I realize something. If God doesn't change my circumstance, He's going to use my life to be a miracle for someone else. When you don't get a miracle, you can still be a miracle for someone else. But when you don't get a miracle, you can be a miracle for someone else. I am not a superhero, I go through ups and downs, so do you, but take one day at a time, and if you haven't found that peace of knowing who you are and why you're here, and where you're going when you're not here, for me, I want you to know that's how I've overcome, not to bring up my pride or my name or my status, trust me, I'm just like you, but I hope you are inspired to know that if I can dream big, then so can you. Undeserved suffering can lead to unprecedented blessing. So here's our takeaway and we'll be done. Problems, suffering, they're temporary. Jesus is eternal. Hope comes when we focus on the eternal rather than on the temporary. How do you typically respond when you experience undeserved suffering? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Sometimes when we're going through seasons of hurt and trial and pain, it can get so dark, it can get so overwhelming that we don't even know where to turn, we don't know where to look. But I pray that you would shine so bright toward our souls that we would find hope in you, hope against hope, that we would find joy unspeakable that is not able to even be explained, that we would find peace that passes understanding in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God, if there's someone here today who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, dear God, I pray and I ask and I beg that they would be a people, that they would be a person who would come to know the hope that is found in the salvation of Jesus Christ. That through your life, death, burial, and resurrection, and by putting our faith in that and repenting from that which is in our past and looking to you as our eternal hope for salvation, I pray that through that, God, we would experience new life in you. We would overcome the hurt, the pain, the suffering that is so prevalent in the world in which we live. We ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.